In this episode, I'd like to cover how to leverage HTTP caching with AF networking. Now it's important to introduce caching into your iPhone apps that leverage data available on the internet, otherwise you end up with a frustrating user experience. There's an app that tracks time that we use here at work, and their iPhone app is really terrible. Every single time I want to track time, it has to go fetch a long client list, which includes every client we've ever worked with. And it doesn't store this data anywhere, and so the next time I want to track time for um, for another entry, it has to reload the entire thing. And it's so bad that I just don't use it anymore. It's, it's really a terrible user experience. So how can we leverage HTTP caching to make this more palatable? Now first, it's important to understand what HTTP caching is, so I'll go ahead and show that real quick. Here I have an application that lists contacts, and this application has an API. You can append .json to the end of this and get the same data available in JSON format. I'd like to build an app to consume this API, but first let's take a look and see how HTTP caching can help us here. Over here in the terminal, I can use curl with the dash i flag against that URL, and we can get back just the headers. Here we got an HTTP 200 OK, and notice it has an e tag and a last modified date returned. In addition to that, it's got a cache control header returned as well with a max age of 10 seconds. What this means is that clients can reliably cache this data for 10 seconds and not request it again. So this value is very dependent upon the type of data that you're dealing with. If it updates really frequently, you might want to lower this value, perhaps even remove it completely. A higher value means that clients won't request again. And if you're writing a client to an API, which we're about to do, we can make sure that we honor this setting as well. So what happens if we send the same request, except this time we include a header called if none match, and we pass in the e tag. Now it's important when you're using curl to escape the inner quotes here on the e tag as that is required. Here we made a request to the server, and the server actually checked the contents of the response to see if the e tag matches, and if so, it doesn't need to send the content again. This can help in a variety of ways, one of which is rendering the JSON content on the server, and the other is the bandwidth itself that's required to actually send down a large JSON response. The client doesn't have to wait for any of that and can use the data it has already cached. Now we can send a similar header here for last modified, if we go ahead and copy this date. And instead of saying if none match, we're going to use a different header called if modified since. And paste in that date. Now again here, we're getting a 304 not modified. And what's important to note is that there's no response returned. So if I change the I flag to lowercase i, we'll get the headers. Um, this would have included the content, but there is no content returned and a 304. Okay, so let's take a look at our Xcode project. Here I've got a simple Xcode project with one view controller, and I've already linked up CocoaPods. If we take a look at our view controller, our view controller has a refresh button, and it will actually hit this API using a FJSON request operation like you've seen in previous episodes. When it comes back, we will um, save the JSON content and reload the table. In the self road index path, we simply uh, pull out these dictionary properties from this array and associate those with some text labels. So here's the application running in the simulator. Now it would be handy to see when the simulator actually made an HTTP request. And for that, there's a really nice application called Charles, which you can try for free. 
Now Charles will inspect your outgoing requests and show you the request and response headers as well as any content. This is very similar to Fiddler if you've been on Windows platform. So here I'm running Charles and I'm on the Sequence tab which allows me to place in a filter. Now I'm filtering just on outgoing traffic that matches this URL. And launching the application here you can see that we, we had a request go out for this host and that path and we got a response code of 200. And you can see this little J here to indicate that the content type was JSON. If we take a look at here, we can see the response, and there's a preset here to format it as JSON. We can also look at the response headers to see uh, what the cache control header is, what the e-tag header is, and what the last modified header is. If we hit the refresh button again, notice that this time we get a 304 not modified. This is because NSURL cache is already being used. Since the server responded in that time frame, it can take advantage of this and return 304 not modified. But if I hammer this button, you can see that it's not doing further requests because of that cache control max age is 10 seconds. If I click the refresh button within 10 seconds again, it's not going to send another request. So the downside of this is this doesn't persist to disk. It's simply an in-memory cache, which defaults to some memory size. And once you reach that memory size, it will start evicting old items. Now there is a open source alternative to the URL cache. If we take a look in our project here, you can see in the CocoaPods project, I've linked in SD URL cache. So let's go over here to our app delegate. And when the application launches, we're going to call a method called prepare cache. We're going to use sdurl cache here. And we'll declare our method prepare cache. And we'll paste in this implementation. So here you can see we're creating an sdurl cache object. And we're initializing with a memory capacity, a disk capacity, and a disk path. And for this, we're using the default cache path. Now on iOS 5, people are saying that the NSURL cache actually does cache to disk, but I didn't find that to be the case. So your mileage may vary, and this is probably the way you want to go if you want to support disk caching on iOS 4. Another thing important to note is that our min cache interval is set to something like 5 minutes by default. What that means is our cache control header of 10 seconds is too short of a duration for this to think it's reasonable to cache that to disk because it's probably going to have changed by the time we request it again. In order to show this in the demo, I'm going to set this to zero so that we can actually see the disk cache being used. Finally, we set the shared URL cache to this cache object and we log out the path so I can show you what it looks like. Now if we run the application, you can see here that we're getting 304s again. If I take a look at this path, you can see here that there's a data file here and a cache info.plist. This will show us information about our cache and it uses this information to know when it can evict certain things from the cache. So this will persist across reboots and then we'll notice that the content will be available and it won't actually have to make a network request. So if we back around the app and make sure that it's not actually running, you can see here on the first application load, instead of getting an actual request, we're getting our 304 
And as we're hitting our refresh button, we're still getting our 304 if the cache control header has already expired. So definitely play around with the Charles app and see how your application is using the network. Sometimes things will surprise you. Also be aware that cache control headers can be really problematic for things that change often. For example, if you're using a friend request type of model in your application and you want somebody to act upon a friend request to accept it, you would expect that immediately that friend's request could be updated with the new friend. In addition, if you're doing something sort of like an inbox where you have a read or unread status for an item, and when you tap on that item to read it, that value should be changed immediately. And these are two examples of things that aren't really a good case for cache control headers. But there's plenty of other things that are, including things that you might want to cache for an entire day. So just play around with the settings, inspect the app using Charles, and take a look at SDURL cache to take advantage of disk caching on iOS 4 and above. Well, that's it for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you in a week.